Hello and welcome to the Provider Wellness Podcast. I'm Matthew Zinder, a certified registered nurse anesthetist. I'm an advanced practice nurse that specializes in the practice of anesthesia. The scope of this podcast will explore healthcare provider health and wellness from the broad to the specific. My aim is to educate while offering a unique perspective. Thank you for joining me today and let's get right to the show. Hey folks, thanks for tuning into this episode, which will be a wellness break. This is a format that I'm carrying over from the previous show, Going Viral, which are going to be short form topics in the areas, as you can well imagine, health and wellness, and just giving different tips and talking about different subjects, uh, offering some new research in different subjects, you know, things like that. Just keeping it short form. What I'd like to do is upload these periodically in between the longer form interviews that I've been doing with health and wellness experts. So uh, hopefully you'll enjoy these as well. Uh, please do uh, keep checking back for future episodes. I have many interviews uh, in the pipeline that I am working to schedule with uh, some really great guests that, again, are experts in the health and wellness space and also a healthcare provider wellness space. Remember always that this show is available on all podcast platforms, so please subscribe and share uh, these episodes with those that you may think uh, would enjoy them. And finally, I'd like to mention the national meeting I'm involved with called the Provider Wellness Symposium. Please go to providersymposium.com for more information about this important event where healthcare providers are enabled to and empowered to engage in self-care. For those who take care of others, it's time to take care of yourselves. Again, go to providersymposium.com for more information. So without further delay, uh, here is a wellness break on uh, tips for healthy sleeping. Uh, this is one of my favorite topics to talk about. I actually do a two-hour lecture uh, on the subject. Uh, one of the first things I'll recommend is that everyone go out and get the book, Why We Sleep by Matthew Walker. Uh, I have no affiliation with him or his publishing house uh, whatsoever. Uh, I wish I did. Uh, but other than that, I am recommending this just because it's uh, one of my favorite books and I consider it required reading for all humans. Uh, it is an amazing book that talks about all, all things sleep, why we need it, why it is necessary, what it's for, uh, the pathophysiology of sleep deprivation, which really drives home the necessity uh, to allow yourself uh, sleep opportunity every night and why it's so incredibly important. So again, it's uh, by Dr. Matthew Walker. He is a sleep scientist out at Berkeley. Uh, and again, if you haven't heard of it already, uh, it is an international bestseller. It's called Why We Sleep Again. So I do recommend that book. And a lot of the information that I put together uh, is direct from him. But then also I've done a lot of other research, looking at research studies and uh, different uh, uh, periodicals and publications on the topic of sleep. Uh, so these are 12 tips for healthy sleeping. So the first tip really is the one recommendation that you will hear all sleep scientists give, because there are some topics and some recommendations that sleep scientists may not necessarily uh, agree on. Uh, like things like naps and things like that. And, and I can even mention that a little bit later. But this is the one recommendation that you will hear every sleep scientist agree on. So the first tip is stick to a sleep schedule. Uh, 
go to bed and wake up at the same time every night. And the reason being you are setting your inner clock, which is called the circadian rhythm. The circadian rhythm is an actual clock. It's a 24-hour clock. And to be able to have a set schedule or a set time, the recommendation is to, again, go to the bed at the same time every night and wake up at the same time every morning, seven days a week. Uh, one of the recommendations is that you actually set an alarm to go to sleep. And what you'll find is if you do this on a regular basis, you'll no longer need an alarm clock to wake up. Okay. So again, stick to a sleep schedule. Uh, tip number two, exercise. Uh, exercise is great. We obviously need to exercise to stay healthy. But one of the recommendations here is don't do it too late or right before you go to bed. They really recommend no later than two to three hours before bedtime. Reason being is you are basically taking advantage of the benefits of hormetic stress when you are exercising. You are intentionally placing yourself in the sympathetic response. Well, in order to fall asleep, we need to be in the calm state or parasympathetic. So in order to do that, we need to give ourselves some time to come back down uh, off of this hormetic stress that we have self-induced. So give yourself a good two or three hours before bedtime uh, to uh, exercise. Number three, uh, avoid caffeine and nicotine before bed. Uh, caffeine, obviously, a stimulant. Nicotine, another one, a stimulant. Now, nicotine, we obviously need to avoid this for many, many reasons. Uh, you know, I'm not going to get into why we shouldn't smoke. I think we all know why we shouldn't be smoking. But the, uh, you know, when it comes to sleeping, we also know that both caffeine and nicotine are stimulants. When it comes to caffeine, what caffeine does is it blocks receptors of a substance or a chemical that makes us feel sleepy, and that's adenosine. Adenosine is constantly building itself up uh, or or um, accumulating in our uh, system during our waking hours. And the higher the level of adenosine we have, the more sleepy we become. So when we reach that peak level close to the time when we're ready to go to bed, that's when we start to feel sleepy. They call it that sleep drive. Well, well uh, caffeine blocks those adenosine receptors. So that's what prevents us from feeling sleepy after we have caffeine. And that's what causes the caffeine crash. When the caffeine is metabolized, all of that adenosine is still there and has continued to build up. And when the caffeine metabolizes, it then goes away and opens up those receptors and all that extra adenosine crashes in to those receptors and we get what we call that caffeine crash, which is feeling incredibly tired uh, once that caffeine is metabolized. So again, avoid caffeine and nicotine before bed. Number four, this is the one that nobody likes. We want to avoid alcohol before bed. Uh, a lot of people really believe that alcohol is a sleep aid. It truly is not. Uh, it really is uh, something that will give you very poor night's sleep. It is a sedative, but what it does is it gives you very fragmented sleep, and it also will prevent certain stages of sleep from even happening. It's actually a very powerful suppressor of REM sleep uh, or rapid eye movement sleep or the dream state, uh, which is incredibly important for uh, our mental maintenance. So REM sleep, along with all the other stages, are incredible. You know, is an incredibly important 
stage and alcohol powerfully suppresses that stage. So really we want to avoid alcohol before bed so we can get a good night's sleep and experience all the stages of sleep uh, as many times as possible because that cycle happens every 90 minutes. That's why they say that we really should allow ourselves seven to nine hours of sleep opportunity every night. So again, number four, avoid alcohol before bed. Tip number five, avoid large meals or beverages late at night. I think this one is probably intuitive. Uh, we have a system that redistributes resources to take care of certain types of maintenance. Uh, so when we have a full stomach, our GI system has uh, distributed or has resources uh, that allows it to properly digest, like blood is being shunted to the viscera to assist with that digestion. Uh, acid buildup in the stomach helps with digestion. Well, when we fall asleep, our systems redistribute maintenance and uh, and resources to other things for other types of maintenance that happen during sleep. So we may get poor digestion as a result. Uh, same thing with beverages. Uh, the other thing with beverages, though, is uh, if we drink a lot, we may have to get up in the middle of the night to go to the bathroom. Uh, and, you know, those of you who are a, a little bit of an advanced age like myself, you you understand what that is like. And that obviously interrupts your sleep and it interrupts your sleep stages. So they do say that if you wake up multiple times per night, it may be something that you may want to uh, speak to your doctor about. If you wake up maybe once per night, go to the bathroom, come back to bed. And if you fall asleep right away, that's okay. Because again, you fell asleep right away and you're going to begin the process of going through the different sleep stages again. So uh, do be aware or try to be aware of uh, what that process is for yourself. And one of those uh, strategies is to not drink large amounts of beverages uh, right before you go to sleep. So again, number five, avoid, avoid large meals or beverages late at night. Number six, if possible, avoid medicines that can delay or disrupt your sleep. Again, pretty intuitive. We want to avoid any type of medicine that could cause anything that could disrupt sleep, like a stimulating type of medicine or a type of medicine that uh, may make us go to the bathroom more, just like we've just talked about, those types of things. So we have to be aware of how our medicines work and what they do to us uh, and any types of side effects, and would those side effects or mechanisms of action affect our sleep, either by stimulating or making us wake up or get up and have to go do something like go to the bathroom, okay? So again, number six, if possible, avoid medicines that can delay or disrupt your sleep. Number seven, don't take naps after 3 p.m. Now, this is one of those topics that uh, sleep scientists do tend to diverge on a little bit. Uh, there is one sleep notable sleep scientist that says, if you're going to take a nap, take a nap for 90 minutes, because that would allow you to experience all of the sleep stages. Now, the stages of sleep are uh, NREM or non-rapid eye movement sleep and that's stage one through four and then the fifth stage is REM sleep or or actually it's stage one and two and then stage one has four different stages within it uh, and then stage two is REM sleep which is the dream sleep that whole process lasts about 90 minutes and again that's why you want to get as much uh, sleep as possible as far as time is concerned because you want to go through those 
stages as many times as possible because that's where you get the most benefit from these stages. Uh, so when it comes to naps, this particular sleep scientist says, take a 90-minute nap, and then that way you'll experience all of the stages. The problem with that is you do tend to wake up feeling uh, kind of drunk or you have that what they call sleep inertia, which is that time where you have to try to wake up, you you know, you're, you feel groggy, you have a hard time uh, being uh, awake. And then after that, once you do finally become awake, uh, you are going to be probably falling asleep much, much later that night uh, than you usually would because you have used up a huge amount of adenosine. Uh, the other recommendation uh, from some other sleep scientists is if you're going to take a nap, take a cat nap, like 10 to 15 minutes. That's kind of where I am. Uh, that That's the camp that I believe uh, is a good one. And I've experienced both types myself. And I personally really prefer that 10 or 15 minute nap because really all you're doing there is you're using up a little bit of that adenosine. Remember that adenosine is what causes that sleepiness or sleep drive. So all you're doing is really using up a little bit of, den of adenosine and that wakes you up a little bit. So, uh, and it doesn't, and it doesn't really cause that, that real groggy drunk feeling when you're trying to wake up again after 90 minutes. And it does kind of give you a little bit of a boost to get you to that usual sleep time, uh, in the evening. So, uh, kind of recharges your batteries a bit. So again, number seven, don't take naps after 3 PM. Uh, and, and really, to, re to really address that statement uh, between the two opinions of naps, don't take it after 3 p.m. because, again, you're using up adenosine. So if you take a nap after 3 p.m., it's going to take much longer for uh, to, to build up that, that circulating adenosine to make you tired again to go to sleep that night. So if you take a nap late, you're probably not going to go back to bed until very, very late compared to where you would have gone to bed otherwise uh, at a normal time. Okay. Number eight, relax before bed. Uh, this was a good one because we want to get ourselves ready to get down into that parasympathetic state or relaxation state uh, to prepare us for going to sleep that night. So uh, that kind of carries over into number two, which is don't exercise right before bed either. You want to relax. You want to get yourself down not only physically but mentally to the point where you are ready to fall asleep. So uh, things like, you know, don't watch uh, a stimulating uh, type of upsetting or stressful TV show or movie right before going to bed. Yeah, things like that. And, you know, again, back to number two, exercise. You don't want to uh, be stimulated uh, that way either. Uh, you want to be physically relaxed and ready to get yourself to decompression or uh, in a proper state to get yourself to sleep. Uh, and, and that really drives home that idea of don't be mentally or physically uh, awake or um, uh, or stressed out or anything like that. Because again, we all know that if we are stressed out, we have a very hard time falling asleep. So it, car it carries over even if you're not necessarily having a hard day or not stressed, but all these other types of things that we might be doing, like watching a stressful show or exercising right before bed or, or that sort of thing, we may have a harder time falling asleep. So do take steps to relax before bed. So again, number eight, relax before bed. Number nine, take a hot bath before bed. So this one's interesting because really what we need to do is have a cool environment because we do not fall asleep until our body temperatures drop two to three degrees. 
So why would they recommend taking a hot bath before bed? Well, or shower? Well, it's the evaporation after the bath or shower that helps our body temperatures do that drop uh, of two to three degrees. So again, number nine, take a hot bath before bed. Number 10, we want a dark bedroom, a cool bedroom, and a gadget-free bedroom. This is very, very important because, uh, first of all, we want the dark bedroom because uh, one of the main regulators of the circadian rhythm is light. So we want to make sure that the place that we are sleeping for the night is always dark or mostly dark. Uh, and we want the, the bedroom to be cool. Just like I had mentioned, we do not fall asleep until our body temperatures drop two to three degrees. So we want the environment to be cool. Now, some of the hardcore sleep scientists say 66 uh, or 67 degrees. That's a little bit much for me. I like uh, probably about uh, maybe 68 degrees or 69 or 70 degrees, but I, I do try to stay uh, somewhere in the high 60s. But, you know, they, they really do uh, get hardcore when it comes to uh, recommending these cool temperatures. Uh, but again, a cool bedroom to help with that drop in body temperature and gadget-free bedroom. So this is one of the main determinants of a poor night's sleep in today's modern world. Uh, we do not want our phones, tablets, televisions, anything like that in the bedroom. We want the bedroom to be gadget-free. Uh, the telephones or the cell phones are keeping us awake in so many ways, one of which is the blue light that is emitting from the LED screens is actually blocking production of melatonin, which is released from the pineal gland. So when we have melatonin, uh, that is actually one of the other determinants of our proper circadian rhythm. And if we block the production and release of it, we are going to have problems with falling asleep. Uh, so that is one of the issues. And of course, we've all heard of this, and this is where the blue light blocking glasses come in, you know, those types of things. But there's another problem with these devices. And because we, you know, we usually hold these devices right on our, you know, right in front of our faces. And two things are happening there. Even though you might be blocking the blue light, either by using the blue light blocks, blocking glasses or putting things like, you know, like the Apple products, you can put something on night shift or it's called night shift where they block all the blue light, your screen goes yellow. Even if you do those things, you are still putting a large amount of light or shooting a bunch of light into your optic nerves, which affects your circadian rhythm. You are giving your brain signals that it is light out and it is time to wake up. So we want to avoid that. And then the third problem with the devices is whatever you're looking at is actually stimulating your brain. So that goes back to number eight. You want to relax, not only physically, but mentally. So you don't want to uh, do things that actually stimulate your mind uh, and, and your thoughts. So again, this is one of those recommendations that really is very universal amongst all of the uh, sleep scientists. So again, number 10, dark bedroom, cool bedroom, gadget-free bedroom. Number 11, have the right sunlight exposure. So light, as I just mentioned, is incredibly important for regulating your circadian rhythm. Uh, there is actually a small structure in your brain called the suprachiasmatic nucleus. This is a structure that is in your brain that is responsible for regulating the circadian rhythm and regulating time for going to sleep. It's not an accident that this structure is located right behind the optic nerves. So 
light is a very important determinant of this rhythm and this timing. So what we want to do is we want to set that clock, right? So the circadian rhythm is not just about sleep. It's a 24-hour clock. So one of the recommendations is to regulate sleep. And again, for helping us with healthy sleeping, one of the things that we should be doing is in the morning, expose ourselves to light. So one of the recommendations is when you wake up, get yourself ready, go outside as early as you can and look at the horizon for five to 10 minutes. This is helping to regulate your circadian rhythm. Another recommendation is that you go out in the evening at dusk and do the exact same thing. Again, you are regulating that circadian rhythm by exposing yourself to outside light. Uh, There is a well-known neuroscientist out at Stanford named Andrew Huberman. He's pretty well-known online and social media, has a podcast, things like that. Uh, He put out a post yesterday that I'll just quote uh, talking about this very subject. Viewing low solar angle sunlight in the morning is the best stimulus for setting your circadian clock because the retinal neurons that set your clock respond best to blue-yellow contrast, which is abundant in low solar angle sunlight, true even through cloud cover. However, due to circadian shifts in retinal sensitivity, once nighttime rolls around, you can easily suppress melatonin production and alter your circadian clock by viewing light that is too bright any color, not just blue light. Thus, best to avoid bright lights from 10 p.m. to 4 a.m. Again, that's Dr. Andrew Huberman, uh, one of his posts about this very subject. So again, number 11, have the right sunlight exposure. And finally, uh, number 12, don't lie in bed awake. This is a good one because again, our minds are very habit-oriented organisms. So if we are creating a habit or not even just a habit, but a relationship between our bedroom and our bed and lying awake, unable to fall asleep, we will then contribute to sleep disturbance by just doing that. So if you are having a hard time falling asleep at night, uh, don't lie there staring at the ceiling, worrying about not falling asleep. What you want to do is you want to get up and get out of that bedroom because you want the correlation of that bedroom for only being for sleep. So you want to get out of that room and go down, you know, go to some other room in the house, sit by low light, do some reading, something like that until you actually feel tired again. And then once that's, you know, once that hits you, get up, go back to bed, and hopefully you will fall asleep because you don't want to create that relationship between lying awake in bed uh, and and the bedroom itself. You don't want the bedroom or the bed to be associated with wakefulness. You want it to be associated with uh, being asleep. So number 12, don't lie in bed awake. So there you have it, 12 tips for healthy sleeping. And again, those are for healthy sleeping. We were not talking about anyone that may have a sleep disorder. If anyone feels that they may have an actual sleep disorder, uh, it would be very recommended to go and see a sleep scientist uh, for treatment because there is a lot of great treatment out these days, a lot of great research for helping those with sleep disorders, uh, including as just one example, cognitive behavioral therapy for insomnia. Uh, That's a newer use of cognitive behavioral therapy, and it's very, very interesting. So uh, do seek assistance if one truly feels like they have a sleep disorder, because it is so incredibly important for our health and wellness. 
So I hope you enjoyed this short form wellness break. We'll talk soon. So that'll do it for this episode. I hope to see you at the next one. This is Matthew Zinder and the Provider Wellness Podcast. Please stay safe and stay well.